like to welcome each of you who are joining us online today. Some of you are in your homes. Some of you are in your cars. Some of you are who knows where you are right now. Some of you guys are hosting watch parties. You're together with your life groups right now. However you find yourself and wherever you find yourself, I am so glad that you are joining us today. But I can tell you, and I think you'd agree with this, things can sure change in a hurry, can't they? In fact, if you'd have told me just a couple of weeks ago that all of our schools were going to cancel and all of these churches, including ours, would be going to online services only, I'd have probably told you that you are crazy. But here we are, and it's okay, and we're going to be okay. And this is why we're going to be okay. It's because the church's true identity has never been about a physical building. I believe that the Lord is going to use this season to remind Christians of that very fact. That the church is not about a physical building. A physical building is a great tool. And I can be honest with you, I love our physical building. And I can't wait till we build another one out on the west side of Bella Vista here one day. It's It's a great tool. It's a great resource. But the building is not our identity. Because our true identity as Christians is found in the person of Jesus Christ. In his shed blood on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And I want you to listen here today what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22, about our true identity. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Did did you hear this? He's not talking about a building. He's talking about a family. And, And that's what Christians are. We are a family who belong to God's family. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, this family is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, the church's identity is never about a physical building, but the church's identity rather is enveloped by a spiritual building. Jesus Christ in this spiritual building, he is the chief cornerstone. And what that means is, is that it's all built upon him. He is the foundation upon which we build this off of. He, he is the one who we align everything to. That's Jesus. All Christians are joined together to become this dwelling in which God, his Holy Spirit dwells. This is a spiritual dwelling. It's so much more than, than a physical building. But I want you to know today that with or without a building, God still stands tall. His house is still standing. And the purposes of the church are still going to be advanced. And I think that the Lord has brought the church into this season because not only does he want to show us something very special, I think he has something very special that he wants to do through us in these very strange times. And these are very strange times. In fact, it's in strange times like these that the words of Jesus draw me in even more. I'm so much more drawn in these weird days that we're living in to, to some of the things that Jesus said. Like in Matthew chapter 6 verse 25, Jesus said this, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your 
life. And I'm thinking about what he said right here, and I'm going, do not worry about my life. That is hard enough to do in the most normal of times. But even, it seems almost unrealistic to to think that we could ever fulfill this in this era of social distancing and coronavirus and everything that's got going on. In fact, I'll be honest with you, it's sometimes, it's, it's, it's hard not to be a little bit cynical when we read things like this. We might say, hey, that sounds great, Lord, not to worry. But we live in the real world, and this real world that we live in, it is not a worry-free zone. I heard about two friends named Chris and Jerry, and they were talking to each other one day, and Chris says to Jerry, he said, Jerry, I need to tell you about all of these things that I'm going through right now. He said, I've got a mountain of credit card debt, and I've lost my job, and my car is being repossessed, and my house is being foreclosed on, but I am not worried about it at all because I have hired a professional worrier. He does all of my worrying for me, and I don't even have to think about it. And Jerry was like, man, that's fantastic. You don't have to worry about anything like that. Well, how much does a professional worrier charge for his services? $50,000 a year, Chris said. $50,000 a year, Jerry responded. Where in the world are you going to get that kind of money? And Chris said, I don't know. But that's his worry, not mine. Sometimes I wish there was a thing such as a professional worrier. If I were being honest, and if you were being honest, we'd probably say that when it comes to worry, we worry about stuff, we worry about our health, we worry about our lifestyles, we worry about our families, we worry about, well, you fill in the blank. When it comes to worry, especially right now, I think if we were being honest, we would all say, yeah, I think we might be failing in this department right now. So when I read Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, uh, you know what it kind of reminds me of? Uh, You're going to find this strange, but it kind of reminds me of Pinterest. You know, that social networking site that so many people love where you can post all kinds of ideas about everything. I mean, it's about creativity. And you can go to Pinterest, you can find recipes, you can find home improvement projects and all kinds of creative stuff on Pinterest. But here's the problem with Pinterest, at least is the problem for me. That when I look at stuff on Pinterest, everything looks so simple. It looks so easy. In fact, I look at it and I go, I can do that. I can build that. I can make that. I can cook that because it all just seems doable. I don't know. Have you ever tried to do a Pinterest project and it just seems so easy when you're looking at it, but when you actually tried to do it in real life, it turned out horribly? Have you ever tried that? Have you ever had that experience? Many people have. In fact, it happens so often that people have even named this thing. It's called a Pinterest fail. And there are just as many Pinterest fails out there as Pinterest wins. Let me give you a couple examples. Here's a picture of an art project that you're going to find on Pinterest. And it's a really pretty picture. I mean, here you have this frame. Somebody creatively glued a bunch of crayons to this whiteboard. And somehow they heated it up. And it melted all of these. And it looks like a cool piece of art. I mean, I can tell you, I'd want that in my house. Somebody tried this one time, and this is what happened. Yikes. 
That is a Pinterest fail. But it looks so easy. It looks so doable. But in real life, this is a huge fail. Let, let me show you another one. Here's breakfast. Somebody got very creative and they made some toast and they had a, a pepper. They cut it in half. They cooked an egg and boy, doesn't that look delicious? And somebody saw that and they said, I can do that. And this is what happened. Fail. I mean, look at that thing. I mean, the egg broke through. It doesn't look anything like, like Pinterest. Here's another one. Maybe you've seen this one. Somebody made some deviled eggs, and they decided, hey, I can creatively kind of cut this out, and I can make it look like little chickens inside these deviled eggs, and maybe you can see this being served on a party tray to your friends. Oh, that looks so easy. Deviled eggs aren't hard. Somebody tried, and this is what happened. Ouch. That is a big-time Pinterest fail. But it looks so easy, but not so much in real life. How, how do you like taking pictures of your family? Pinterest is loaded with family pictures. And here's a picture of three little kids. Oh, man, what a beautiful little picture of your perfect little family this is. Everyone peaceful and calm. And there are thousands of people out there that says, I can do that with my own kids. They've tried, and it turns out looking like this most of the time. Oh my goodness. How many of you can relate? That's a Pinterest fail. Here's one more. Minions are real popular. Somebody baked a cake one time and they created a minion out of it. You think, well, that's not so hard. And they describe it like it's not hard. You just make a cake, you cut it in the right shape, put some fondant, and some color. It's not hard. Somebody tried and this is how it turned out. Fail. Man, that is a big time, big time fail on Pinterest. You know, in Matthew 6, 25, we see this ideal image, so to speak. Do not worry about your life. And we, we read that and we go, oh, well, I can do that. That sounds so simple. That looks doable. But in reality, you go through your day and you fail. I, I doubt any of us have truly nailed it this idea of do not worry about your life. But you know what? That's what Jesus said. Jesus seems to speak about it as if it is obtainable, and I certainly believe that it is, but it feels like we fail often. You know, when it comes to worry, I think of this picture right here. Let me show you another one. This is a picture of a little girl that, it's a picture that her mother took of her on her very first day of school. And just look at this picture. She looks so excited and she's gonna tackle her first day. All of her clothes are perfect. Her hair is combed. She is ready to head out the door. When I think about the words, don't worry about your life, it's like this picture right here. We're like, all right, God, I am ready. I can do this. I am dressed. I am ready to tackle the world. Everything is put together, and I'm going to conquer this day, and it is going to be great. Well, that little girl came home from school that same day, and her mother took another picture, and this is her coming home from that first day of school. When I think about the words, don't worry about your life, I think of this picture. Because all the expectations of the day went out the window for the best efforts ever. No, this is what many of us look like after a day of trying not to worry. Oh man, we feel like we failed. Life beat us up and we're no better off. 
You know, when Jesus said, do not worry about your life, I do believe that he was making an all-encompassing statement about all areas of our life. But any important Bible study, any Bible study that you do, you got to look at context. You got to ask the questions. Why did Jesus say that here? Why did he say it at this exact moment? See, when Jesus said, do not worry about your life, this was a small piece of a large sermon. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And right before Jesus said to everybody there listening, do not worry, he was talking about money. In fact, this instruction to not worry, it's in the context, the broader context of money. Jesus had just got done talking about how you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money. You cannot serve both of them. And so Jesus issues this challenge. You need to trust the Lord in everything. Trust God, not money. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. And then he says, do not worry about your life. That's the context of why he told his followers there not to worry. Because let God be your master, not these earthly things. Let God be your master. Let God be the one in control, not the stuff that money can buy. Therefore, do not worry about your life. But if we're being honest, and I would hope that we all are all being honest, when it comes to worrying, usually it's about the stuff that money can buy. Like, how are we going to get these bills paid? Now, that's a very real worry right now. Because in this era of coronavirus and the economy is all over the place and, and, and people's hours are being cut back and jobs that were once secure don't feel so secure anymore. And yeah, that's a real worry. How are we going to get these bills paid? Or did we save enough money? Did we plan accordingly for our retirement? Hey, we got a baby on the way. How in the world are we ever going to afford this? And that creates anxiety and worry. Boy, I sure wish I could help my kids with their college expenses like I always hoped I could, but I just can't. Wish I could afford a nicer car, a better house. Wish I had a higher paying job. Boy, if I just had a higher paying job, and we worry about that higher paying job, and how am I going to get it? And think of all I could do if I had a higher paying job than what I have now. Kids need clothes. The shoes are worn out. I don't see how we're going to swing it. And we worry. Boy, I wish we could give all of our kids what my parents were able to give me, but I just can't. How about the worry? We're out of food. And we got to go a week before payday. Many people right now are beside themselves because they can't find toilet paper anywhere. We worry about all kinds of things, and usually it's about money or the stuff that money can buy. So in light of this coronavirus that we're, this season that we're in right now, I think the words of Jesus are, are extra pertinent. They, they, they say something more reassuring than in other times. And I'd like to finish what else Jesus said. So if you look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, let's Finish off what Jesus said. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. And then he goes on to say this, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can anyone of you 
by worrying add a single hour to your life. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, from our text today, I just want to tell you three biblical truths that just jump off the pages at me. And they're so obvious, and I'd like to share them with you today because I think these three truths will be a great reminder, especially in this era where there's so much worry about so many things right now. And the first truth that I want us all to be focused in on is this. Truth number one, you are so valuable to God. And I hope that you pick that up as we're reading the text today. You are so valuable to God. Now, 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 Jesus, in his sermon here, he's talking about value, and he's talking about things in nature and how God values things. And he says, look at the birds. This is just one example. Look at the birds. They don't, they don't, they don't reap. They don't sow. They don't store away in barns. But God feeds them and takes care of them. Have you ever gone outside and just watched birds? I know there's a lot of good bird watching happening around here. You just got to wonder, how, how do these birds survive? You know, we don't feed them really, and every year they just come back, and, and they just seem to do okay. They, they seem <coughs> to flourish, and Jesus is making a point. If you look at these birds, they, they are taken care of, but they don't save, they don't sow, they don't reap. And then Jesus says, hey, did you notice like, the flowers in the field? Some translations say, some translations say the lilies of the field. Do you see how they grow? They don't work for it. They don't labor. They don't spin. God, God just takes care of them. And that is so true. Have you ever been driving down the highway and look off to the side and see a bunch of flowers in the field? Nobody planted them. They, nobody's tending them. Nobody's taking care of them. They just grow. It's because God just takes care of them. And in light of those two examples, Jesus asks some very rhetorical questions, questions that we should pay very close attention to today. Jesus said, hey, if that's how God cares for lilies of the grass, they're only here for a little while. And if that's how God takes care of billions of birds in this, on this planet, he says, how much more will he take care of you? So he's doing kind of a compare and contrast thing here. You know, birds... Flowers, God takes care of those, and if he does that already, and they don't do anything, how much more will God take care of you? And Jesus asked the question, are you not much more valuable than birds and flowers? And the answer is yes. You are way more valuable than birds and flowers. But some of you today are not feeling more valuable than birds and flowers. In fact, you're not feeling valuable to anybody, let alone God. And this text needs to reassure you today that that thinking that you're going through right now, that is off. Because you are so valuable to God. You are more valuable to God than you will ever know. Do you know how we determine the value of something? 
Have you ever thought about it? How do, you, how do we determine the value of something? Value is based primarily on how much somebody is willing to pay for it. Somebody's willing to give you this much, it must be this valuable. If somebody's willing to give you this much more, it must be more valuable. How valuable are you? The Bible tells us that you were bought at a price. Oh, that's right. There's a price tag on all of our heads. And you were bought at a price. Well, what is that price? Just how valuable are we? Well, let me tell you something. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you. God gave it all for you. That's how valuable you are. We are more valuable than birds. We are more valuable than flowers. And God takes care of those without batting an eye. And Jesus challenges his listeners. He's challenging us. How much more valuable are you? So that's the first truth that jumps out at me at this text. You are so valuable to God. Here's the second truth. It's this, worry adds no value to your life at all. Worry adds no value. If you were to jump back at verse 27, Jesus asked this question. Can any one of you worry by worrying add a single hour to your life? Now that's a fascinating question. Can any of you add an hour to your life by worrying? No, you can't. Why? Because worrying changes nothing. Worrying cannot control outcomes of anything. I heard about a family one time who had left on vacation and they were traveling down the highway and it's the same road they went down the year before when they're on vacation and the mom of the family, she remembered, oh no, this is the way where the bridge is out. We went through here last year and the bridge was under construction and they diverted traffic an hour out of the way to go around. Oh, why did we come this way? And for the next several hours on this trip, she worried herself over this. She's like, man, you know what? We're gonna not make it to where we're going in time. There's gonna be people down there waiting on us. What are we gonna do? Lots of anxiety. But as the family drove along and they got really close to where the bridge is, they saw a very welcome sign. The sign said, newly constructed bridge, open for your convenience. You know why I tell you that little story? It's because whether that bridge was open or not, that mom worrying about it wasn't going to change anything. But you know what it did do? It affected deeply the mother in that car and every single person in her family. You know, some of you here may, may have a child that has decided to go their own way and from your point of view is living a very destructive lifestyle. Your worrying won't change the outcome. You may have a sick family member right now and the, the threat of getting sick in, in this era that we live in right now, I mean, it's so real. But do you know worrying about that is not gonna change the outcome at all. You may be afraid, you may be worried because you've heard that your employer is cutting back hours, they're downsizing the staff or they're getting ready to lay a bunch of people off. Do you know worrying about that? is not gonna change the outcome at all. 
Who of you, by worrying, can change the situation in your life? That's the question that Jesus is asking. What does worry do for you? It will change nothing. It will not change the outcome, but I can tell you what it will do. It will change you. It will change you drastically, and it will change you in ways that you don't want to change. You know, years ago, Helen Hayes was a very famous American actress, and she was famous uh, for many, many years. She and her husband had one daughter, and that daughter died at the age of 18 from polio. And then a very short while after their daughter died, her husband died too, and he was very young. Helen went on to live into her 90s. And, and later in life, somebody asked her, hey, Helen, why do you think that your husband died at such a young age? And her answer is fascinating. She said he died at a young age because he couldn't get past asking the question, why? She said he worried about their daughter's death until it killed him. You see, worry adds no value to your life at all. In fact, it takes value from your, your life. And I, I think the Lord just knows that so much. He's telling his, his family, his family, his Christians, don't worry. It's not going to add value. It's going to take value from your life. So, so the, the first truth that jumps out of me in this text is you are so valuable to God. And the second truth is worry adds no value to your life. But there's a third truth in this text, which is this. Worry puts us in the same category as someone who doesn't know God. Now just let that sink in for a minute. Because that's strong. Worry puts us in the same category as somebody who doesn't know God. In verse 32, you know what did Jesus say? The pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father already knows that you need them. That word pagan, that's just a reference to an unbeliever. Somebody who's outside of God's family. Somebody who lives to please themselves. Somebody lives according to their own rules and pleasure. And so Jesus' point is, listen, when you start fretting and when you start worrying about what are we going to eat and what are we going to wear and how are we going to make it and I need this and I need that, nobody loves me, how are we going to get through this? Oh, all hope is lost. When we're there, Jesus is saying we sound very much like a person who completely relies on himself and not on his creator. So how in the world are we ever going to live up to Jesus' words? Do not worry about your life. Well, before we're done here, I want to give you three words. In fact, if you're taking notes right now, these will be three words that are easily memorized and you can take these with you and remember them and just hold on to them. It's all based on our text today. And the first word I want to give you is this one. You ready to write this down? Faith. Faith. How are we going to go from, from, from worry to victory? What is that fat path? Here's one word to help us. Faith. Trusting God to meet our needs. In verse 30, if you look at it, Jesus said this. You of little faith. Jesus connects a dot for us here. He connects a dot between worrying and faith. There's something about these two things that have something to do with each other. He says, oh, you of little faith. 
And I think about how Jesus is talking about faith here. Faith in our Heavenly Father. Faith in the one who knows everything that we need. Faith is this. It's trusting God to meet our needs in the context of worry. Faith is about having the assurance that, that God not only knows what we're going through, but he also knows what we need before we even know that we need it and that he'll also come through for us. That is faith. You see, because worry says this. Worry says, I've got a problem and I don't think God can take care of it. That's, that's what worry says. I don't believe that God understands what I'm going through. And I don't believe he's going to fix anything. But faith, on the other hand, faith says God will meet my needs. You know, there was another time in scripture where Jesus said these exact same words. Oh, you of little faith. Do you remember when that was? It was a stormy night. And Jesus' disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee and this huge storm came up. Waves were crashing over the boat. They, there was panic setting in. They all thought they were gonna die. And in the middle of the night, Jesus comes walking out to them on the water. And the disciples, they thought they were seeing a ghost. And Peter cries out to Jesus. He said, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come out there and walk to you on the water. And so Jesus says, come on out here, Peter. And so Peter Swings one leg over the boat, then the other. I'd imagine he sat there for a minute, not sure he wanted to go, but he stepped out on the water and miraculously, he started to walk towards Jesus. So now you have Jesus on the water, you've got Peter on the water, he's not holding on to the boat at all, you've got the rest of the disciples freaking out by what's going on. And as he gets a little closer to Jesus, the Bible seems to indicate that Peter began to look around at all the waves and the storm, and he got fearful, and he lost faith, and he began to sink, and Jesus reaches out and grabs him and rescues him, and Jesus says to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Well, that's just another sermon all in itself, but I think Jesus would say that to many of us today. You have little faith, why did you doubt? You know, if you think about it, our situation today, it's not all that different than Peter's, no. We're not trying to walk on water, no, we're not trying to do that. But we are caught up in a storm. And this storm has created a lot of worry. And sometimes worry leads us to lack faith. I think if we're just being honest, I think many Christians right now are struggling to trust God to meet our needs. So I wanna challenge you today. I wanna challenge you right now, church. Stop focusing on the storm around us. Stop focusing so much on all the things about coronavirus, much of which is so far outside of our control, yet we worry so much about it. But instead, let me challenge you to do this. Focus in on Jesus. Do the thing that Peter failed to do that night in the storm. He focused on the storm. He was not focused on Jesus. This is where we're gonna be different. We're gonna put our eyes squarely on Jesus and we're gonna stop looking so much at the storm. We're gonna trust God to meet all of our needs. So if you wanna have a path to victory over worry, well, I want you to remember that word, faith. Well, here's a second word I want you to remember. Second word is this, father, father. Knowing that God cares for you. Your heavenly father, he cares deeply for you. If you look back at verse 32, it tells you all that you need to know. 
Your heavenly father knows what you need. That's what it says. Jesus says this. Your heavenly father, he knows what you need. Our heavenly father cares for his children. I was reading not too long ago something that John Piper wrote, a very well-known pastor. He's authored many books. I love what he wrote about this one time about our Heavenly Father and just how much he cares for his children, how much our Heavenly Father is so much more equipped than our earthly fathers to care for his children. And I think he's on to something. Piper writes this, and I'm going to quote him. He says, our heavenly father is better than an earthly father. And I think we instinctively know that. But I think he puts some language on this that helps me understand at least. Piper says, hey, I've got five children. And I love to meet their needs. But my knowing falls short of God's in at least three ways. Right now, I don't know where any of them is at. I could guess they're in their homes or at work or at school, healthy and safe, but they might be laying on a sidewalk with a heart attack. I I don't know. Two, I don't know where their heart is at. I don't know where their heart is at at any given moment. I can guess from time to time, but they may be feeling some fear or hurt or anger or lust or greed or joy or hope. I can't see my children's hearts. I don't know about my children's future. Right now, they may seem well and steady, but tomorrow, some great sorrow may befall them. And then Piper says, what this means is that I can't be for them a very strong reason for not worrying. There are things that may be happening to them now or may happen to them tomorrow that I do not even know about. But that's totally different with their father in heaven He knows everything about them now and tomorrow, inside and out. He sees every need. And not only that, but to add to it, God has a huge eagerness to meet their needs. That's what we learn in this text from Matthew. And not only that, but he has the complete ability and he is eager to meet all of their needs. So Piper says, how much more valuable are we than birds? Oh, our Heavenly Father. It's who we need. So what is this path from, path, uh, from victory over worry? How do we do that? Well, first of all, faith. Secondly, Father. Trusting God to meet our needs and knowing that our Heavenly Father cares for his children. Let me give you one final word. The word is first. It's putting God first in our lives. Verse 33 says this, very important verse. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. You know, this whole year, we've been talking a lot about what does it mean to walk with God, to align with him, and this is a key verse in this journey. Seek first him, his desire, his will. You want to stop worrying about your life? Seek him first. And that is really at the heart of the matter. The Lord must be number one. Pursue him, serve him, and let God deal with all the things that he already knows all about too well. Let him handle those things. Well, if you know Jesus Christ today, I hope you know that you are to live and to look different than than those people who don't know Jesus. Do you know Christians and non-Christians alike are suffering right now under this pandemic? 
I mean, it doesn't discriminate. Good people, bad people, Christians, non-Christians, people of other faith. It's affecting every one of us. But I believe that God wants to show the world through this that how a Christian lives their life and how they respond to all of this, well, that is completely different than everybody else. I think one of the things that God wants to show the world through this is that Christians behave differently, we respond differently, we have different ways of thinking about this whole thing. All of it points back to him. All of it is about seeking him first. And wouldn't that be something if all of this to bring this grand realization to the world that Christians, we just go about life differently because we trust in the Lord. I can tell you, believers respond by resting and relying on God, no matter what the circumstances may be. And we can do that. And all these things will be given to you as well. So before we go, let me just tell you, there's three words I want you to cling to right now. Faith, Father, and First. And think about it like this. If we have faith in our Father and we put him first, he will meet all of our needs.